We give you some secondary takes on the NBA schedule released last week, and then we get to the top 35 list. Nicknames and top franchise players all today. Locked on Hornets. We're locked on Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcast. And as always, that includes YouTube. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter promo code locked on NBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you there's a man with some bird dogs on YouTube. If you see him right there, that's everyone. It's box scores, very own Doug Branson. Check out his work. Well, everyone, it's box You can listen to me. I'm Walker mail on WFNZ every weekday from 12 to 3 PM. Let's get to some secondary takes. Shall we? No, um, these yeah. aren't secondary takes. These are pri- any take that I have mm-hmm. on this show is a primary take. Don't don't okay. downgrade my takes to secondary. I have dragged myself out of my deathbed from acute bronchitis. I'm sure you weren't looking at me to open the show, but I've got my water bottle ready. I've got it ready to maintain this voice long enough to give primary takes, not secondary takes, primary takes. Go on. You sound back, Doug. (laughs) You sound really back. Yeah, the voice, the energy is all the way back. The voice is still catching up a little bit. We'll see if I make it through. Well, I, I know that you got a kick out of our text exchange earlier today. And so <laughs> I said, 830 question mark. You said, yeah, why a I've got Tom Chambers takes. OK, going to be five <laughs> minutes late. <laughs> right. As LOL. soon as I said Tom Chambers takes, you said secondary takes. I'm going to be five minutes late. But I, I promise you, these Tom Chambers takes are primary takes. Those are big time. Those are definitely primary. I'm sorry, Tom Chambers. Any take about you is always going to be a primary take. Um, let's just kind of go over some of the other details. Maybe we didn't get to when we revealed the Hornet schedule after it was revealed. What was it? Thursday, Wednesday, last week, sometime last week. Time is a, is a blur opening night, October 25th versus Atlanta. That's going to be the opener. So that's going to be a lot of fun to get the uh, season kicked off late October, heading into November one real national TV game. And I'm glad you wrote it like this because we're on the same page here. One real national (laughs) TV game that's against San Antonio. That'll happen on January 12th on ESPN. There are three NBA TV games. So NBA TV, maybe the national pundits consider that a real national game, but not really. You want me to stop there, Doug, and give some thoughts? Well, I just a question. I mean, do you think that that's the right amount of national TV games for the Charlotte Hornets? One. LaMelo probably the bigger draw than just one, but this is where I don't want to manufacture anger because it's not like I have a leg to stand on. I I know some, I saw some comments about other teams that aren't as good getting more national games, but this is a Hornets team that was an NBA league pass team a couple of years ago. Everybody loved watching play. LaMelo was young. Miles Bridges was dunking everything. They looked like they were ready to reach a different stratosphere with rookie of the year winner LaMelo Ball on their squad. And then people keep pointing to that saying, oh, okay, so everything can change in a couple of years. Actually, yeah, it really can change in a couple of years. That Yes, the answer is yes to your question. Because at this point, when you are two years removed from that, going into a third year removed from that, and you still 
haven't gotten to the playoffs outright, then I'm not going to sit here and be angry. Like I, I want them to get there. This don't misconstrue this as me not wanting them to get a national TV game. It's just, I'm not going to get angry at only one national TV game. So yeah, the, the only reason you would have more than one is because LaMelo is crazy popular. Other than that, I'm not going to argue it all that much. Well, it could change within a season, too, because you do have LaMelo, mm-hmm. who is a draw. And so if the Hornets are in a tight Eastern Conference playoff race, not a play-in race, but a playoff race, if they're battling for you know, a six through three seed, uh, that, and that's, that's kind of crazy. I think that's a little crazy to say, but if that happens, then the Hornets could get flexed into you know, one of these March, April, ESPN, or TNT dates. We'll have to see, but one puts them – got a few notes on this. One puts them in line with the Pistons, the Rockets, the Pacers, the Magic, the Raptors, and the Wizards, all teams that I think are kind of right there in that tier with the Hornets in terms of both would you want to watch them on TV and are they going to be any good. The other team that they're in line with are the Portland Trailblazers who drafted Scoot Henderson – and so that kind of goes. And we should mention Brandon, I guess. Yeah, I, Brandon is, is another one. LaMelo's the biggest draw by far. Brandon is enough intrigue to where that would carry some weight. But yeah, it's all LaMelo. Well, not as much weight as Wimby because the Spurs jump. I think right. they only had one last season and they jump all the way to 11. They're in line with the Kings. And uh, so yeah, the Spurs get 11 national TV games. So that's where Wimby takes you. But but drafting mm-hmm. Scoot would not have you know, move them up the board uh, any higher uh, as, as we see here. And so, yeah, I mean, the schedule makers are betting that they, they can't bet on LaMelo either because LaMelo has been hurt. You know, if LaMelo were coming off an all NBA season, then maybe I think the schedule makers would have given the Hornets a second look and said, Hey, maybe one more national TV game <laughs> in a weird way. If Lonzo ball were still playing, they probably would get one of those bulls Hornets matchups on national TV, but because Lonzo is not going to play this season and that eliminates uh, that game as well but I'm with you I'm not going to be angry about this because I want the Hornets to earn it this team needs this team needs all the bulletin board material they can get and so I hope Steve Clifford goes in there and says look at all these teams that that the national tv makers think that you're in line with how about we how about we prove them wrong all right Doug so you bring up Scoot and Wimby let's talk about some of the games against them so your first game against Scoot because of the Scoot Henderson Brandon Miller debate going to draw a lot of intrigue the first game is going to be February 25th against Portland that's going to be on the road that's going to be amidst a west coast road trip so the first game against Scoot and the Portland Trailblazers February 25th the next game at the Spectrum Center will be later in the season um, April 3rd, the games against Wimby, I just mentioned January 12th against Wimby. That will be against San Antonio on their home court. And then you face them in the spectrum center a week later. So January 12th in San Antonio, January 19th in the spectrum center. Those are going to be the two games against scoot and Wimby. Now allow me to ask you this. Do any one of those players maybe go into the question you have in the first bullet point of those matchups being the biggest non-context game here, Doug. Explain what you mean by biggest non-context game and then give me your answer for that matchup. So biggest game of the season without the context of record or playoff implications because there's it's just impossible to guess. There's probably going to be a game in March or April if the Hornets are in contention that you go, yeah, this like random game against the Magic. If they win this game, their playoff hopes stay alive. And if they lose it, they're out of the playoffs. So, you know, taking out that context, which is impossible to guess, what is the biggest game of the season? And I think you're right. It is one of these games. It's not a game against LeBron or Steph or anything like that. I think the focus is going to be uh, on the rookie, Brandon Miller, and how he stacks up against 
uh, his two contemporaries here, Scoot Henderson and and Wimbenyama. And I think it's interesting that they're not going to play one another until 2024. All of these games, you've got the two January games against Wimby, and then you've got February and uh, April against Scoot. And so Scoot and Wimby are going to have plenty of time to start just right from the jump. I mean, they're, they're, you know, especially if Damian Lillard leaves Portland, then that's I mean, even if he doesn't, I think Scoot is going to get significant minutes. Brandon, as, as we've talked about, you know, unless there are some moves left to make for the Hornets, I think Brandon is probably going to start with a role off the bench uh, or, or at least when when Bridget, when Miles Bridges comes back, you know, maybe, maybe he starts early on because of that absence with the 10 games. But I think once, you know, the, the early season lineup comes together fully, it'll be Brandon Miller off the bench initially. But by then, <clears throat> you know, by January, we could see Brandon Miller with a much more significant role. And that will be more interesting to me than if he were, you know, just coming off the bench for, you know, 24, 25 minutes. So I think one of those games against Wimby is actually bigger than the games against Scoot. And I'll tell you why, because one of them is on national TV. And it's big for the Hornets, not just Brandon. It's big for the Hornets. They're only going to get one opportunity to perform well on national TV. And I think they have to take that opportunity to show the league, hey, we're not a complete joke here. We are building something. And the bright lights will be on the Hornets, which will be a good opportunity for them to show that they can do something in those bright lights because, you know, we're – we're not too far removed from a team that were, that was blown out twice in play-in opportunities. They need to show that they can come come together one game and play well, and that will be that opportunity against Victor Wembanyama and the Spurs, a team that they yeah. should be better than too. Like just like top to bottom, I mean they're gonna have the best, you know they're gonna have the best young player in Victor Wembanyama, but the, maybe not the best player. That could be Lamelo, and you know I think the Hornets should beat them. Yeah, I mean, depending on how much of an impact you think Wimby provides right away, you're right. And you said 11, did you say 11 national games for the Spurs? Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot. I'm not surprised because Wimby was viewed as the generational prospect. So I'm mm-hmm. not surprised at all. It's smart by the NBA to say, okay, let's market this guy right now but and give him 11 hurt. national games. And so it's going to help the Charlotte Hornets get on a national stage. But it's not a once said, not a was like, look, Walker, I don't know why you're excited about a national game. The Hornets always bleep the bet. And it's true. They, they've done that quite a bit on the national stage. So but we'll if see he gets hurt, do. But if he gets hurt, Walker, we're going to be seeing yeah. a lot of Keldon Johnson on TNT. And I don't, know, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what kind of draw that is. I don't know. Well, and there has to be the load management conversation <laughs> because they already said they're going to take it easy with Wimby this year. So. I have to imagine Adam Silver is talking to the Spurs saying, you can take it easy with Wimby, but you're not doing it on these 11 games. And we'll see if Greg Popovich, he's been spicy with the load management before against the NBA. Could he do that as soon as Wimby's first season? Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him whatsoever. Well, and just real quickly, it's not just going to be about Brandon versus Wimby because I'm sure Brandon will switch on to Wimby you know, once or twice during that game. But another reason that game is big is because I want to see Mark Williams go up against Victor Wembanyama. I need to see Mark Williams, you know, play. I want to see him really play against legitimate center size, which, you know, Wimby has the length but not the beef. So that's really what I want to see. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, Victor Wembanyama is going to challenge you inside and out, and I want to see Mark Williams go up against that. Okay, um, maybe I give you my non-context game on the other side of the break, shall we? we should, well, let's do that. Then we'll okay. get to the nicknames coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast.
Don't go to sleep on the Hornets. Delaying just yet. my Tom Chambers takes. I see you. That's well. That was going to be my tease. That was going to be my tease, Doug. <laughs> I that blew was, it. Was be a, goodness gracious. Yes, Tom Chambers takes. Doug's Tom Chambers takes. Don't be five minutes late. Show up on time because you're not going to want to miss it. You're also not going to want to miss out on an opportunity to get some bird dogs. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs, and they make you look good. They're stretchy khaki shorts, and they're designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and the leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as the Lululemon, but fit way better, and they fit way better than regular shorts that are made of this stiff, restricting cotton because Bird Dogs fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice any movement whatsoever. What you can do is you can go to birddogs.com slash NBA and enter promo code NBA for a free white tech hat. That's birddogs.com slash NBA or promo code NBA for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you more Locked On Hornets coming up next. All right, before the Tom Chambers takes, if you'll allow me to give my non-context game, I have two that I'm trying to choose from. I can give you a non-context week, though, if that's okay. Will sure. you allow me those rules? Um, sure. If you go to February 12th, that'll be on a Monday, they play the Indiana Pacers at home. And then February 14th, they play the Atlanta Hawks. That's going to be at home. Those two games will take you into the All-Star break. So then you don't have any other game until February 22nd, really a little over a week after. And that's when you're going to start your West Coast road trip against Utah, Golden State, Portland. And then you come back to Milwaukee to finish it up on the east side of things. So Indiana and Atlanta, Doug, what do those two opponents have in common? Those are the two opponents that destroyed the Hornets in the play-in game. You took too long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they I've, wiped that. I've, I've tried to wipe that from my memory. I've tried to wipe the teams, you know, other than the loss itself. Right. I've tried to wipe that from my memory. Also, that's going to be heading into the All-Star break, okay? <laughs> so voting is going to be done and over with. But if that's going into the All-Star break and you have Trey Young, who we're going to try to figure out if he gets to the All-Star game, whatever, not necessarily all that compared to LaMelo. We've tried to make that a little bit of a rivalry, but Atlanta had their conference finals run and then they've been irrelevant. You get the idea. But there's a lot of Tyrese Halliburton hate going on right now amongst LaMelo fans. They're not here for the Tyrese is better than Melo. You know, we have the Anthony Edwards stuff. We have the Tyrese Halliburton stuff. So Tyrese being the guy that was winning West Coast Rookie of the Month every single month that LaMelo won Rookie of the Year, and it was viewed as Tyrese was second. Anthony Edwards made a late push, but wasn't going to win it. So that's kind of a budding rivalry. The other thing about the Pacers is that LaMelo destroys the Pacers. I mean, he is a Pacer killer, always has very good games against that opponent. So mm -hmm. going into the All-Star break against two opponents that destroyed you the last two times that you went into the play-in tournament, with two point guards that you could, yeah, I don't know, think of as a rivalry, as a player rivalry between your best player and a couple of the other guys on the other rosters. I think those are going to be important games, especially with you having a, a whole slate of games after the All-Star break to get the momentum rolling. You know how we do this in the industry, Doug. You know, we do the whole what team is hot going in, what team has the momentum coming out of All-Star break. I think those are two important games for the Charlotte Hornets. No, brilliant take because it's it's not just the first couple of games out of the All-Star break. It is the most brutal stretch uh, of se really 17 games after the All-Star break. 13 of those are on the road, four at home from February 22nd until yeah. March 25th. That includes four of the Hornets' 15 back-to-backs. 
and and that will be the defining really stretch of the season. And so if you take well, it could be, but if you take a bad record into the All Star break, you know, I mean, if you're if you're six seven games under five hundred heading into the All Star break, I don't think there's any twenty sixteen miracle cardiac Kimba. Hornets run in this. We need Mo Williams. Team. We need Courtney Lee. <laughs> we, no, I don't think that need... kind of run is in this Charlotte Hornets team. So yeah, I think those two games uh, will be very important, especially if they are sort of right on the precipice of of the season slipping away. Then I think those will be two very important games. All right, Doug, are you feeling? You had the energy at first. I know you've battled some phlegm here today. Do you have it in you to go with the top 35 nicknames list today? This is the difficult thing about dealing with the phlegm is that mm-hmm. the energy is all there. It's all there. Mm-hmm. But what I'm worried about, and I don't know if you're the same way as the radio professional. What I'm worried about is like hitting the gas pedal all the way and the engine going. Yep. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's big, big time backfire. <laughs> right. So that's what I'm worried about. I'm like, it's I'm trying to tamp it down just a little bit so that I don't sound horrible. Anyway, here we go. Top 35 Hornets nicknames. That's right, folks. It is back. It's not just Hornets nicknames. There's some Bobcats thrown in here as well. These are franchise top 35 nicknames in honor of the Hornets for some reason celebrating Uh, The 35th anniversary, five (laughs) years after they celebrated the 30th anniversary. Anyway, here we go. Number 26. We've heard this one a lot, folks. Armin Gilliam, the black hole. (laughs) Oh, wait, whoops. Well, no, I know that's appropriate. That's appropriate because the black hole is not a complimentary nickname. It it is. Did not I already a do this one? Maybe, maybe we did this one last show. I think I should have started with 25 because I think we've yeah, talked about think, this, but we'll talk about it again. Did. I, yeah, I think we've talked about the black, hole but it before. is a good, right. and I'll quickly su- summarize what my argument was on that previous show, which was you take it as a negative and that's fine. That's your perception of it. But Armin Gilliam was a black hole in that you would throw him the basketball and it wouldn't come back out. But in that era of the game, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. They hadn't figured out yet that three-point shots were worth more than two-point shots. They were more efficient. They hadn't figured that out yet. And Armin Gilliam was a good scorer. He was a 20-plus point scorer in both Phoenix and then when he came over to Charlotte. And Charlotte, during that particular era, the early Charlotte Hornets era, needed guys that could just put the, the, to put the ball in the bucket. And that's what Armin Gilliam did. And for that, we salute you. Okay, number okay. twenty-five. All right. So there's all right. So there that you said twenty-five for the black hole. No, twenty-six for the black hole. Stay, you know, gotcha. stay up here. We go. You know, stay with me. Number twenty-five. Oh. Earl, the twirl, Curtin. <laughs> know anything about the twirl? So it's just it's the one that stops me dead in my tracks because anytime you hear about the Earl, and then you still so you hear Earl the blank, it's the pearl. But the twirl, that's a nice playoff. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, Earl, Earl the twirl, 12 seasons, won two, 12 seasons in the NBA, won two championships. He played mm-hmm. for the inaugural season team, 89-90, or 88-89 and 89-90. And uh, he was the ultimate journeyman, Earl the twirl. And I just love this nickname because it's very, like, 70s when he played. I think he played college in the 70s, but it just has a very, like, ABA classic and it plays off the name and you're right. It plays off the Pearl as well, but Earl, the twirl. I just love it. You like, you like that nickname? Yeah. I like it. I think it's good. You know, I think maybe if we, if we talk about 
the actual player needing to have some value where that falls. You know, maybe it's a little high, but I like Earl the Twirl. I like the playoff of it. It's good. I mean, two championships, none with the Hornets, but it's true. two championships. A good player. There you go. All right, number 24. You'll like this one. The Gap Man, Kenny Gaddison. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not expect to hear that for a while. I did not. I thought it would continue to just keep on moving up the list, but here we are. Why is he at 23 now? I don't know where we are. You 24. We're at 24. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, we're at 24. Uh, so there are a lot of good nicknames. I mean, I, we, we're getting into the, I think once you get to like the top 20, you're going to say, wow, yeah, these are a lot of great nicknames. Okay. But the Gap Man is a good nickname. It's a very good nickname. I think it gets points for being a little bit of a hipster nickname because it's not on basketball reference. You kind of have to be, you kind of have to know the Charlotte Hornets. You have to hear Del Curry talk about Kenny Gaddison uh, to and know a little bit about Hornets history, know about the Gap Man, Kenny Gaddison. I think mm-hmm. it sounds very cool. It's like jazz, the Gap Man. He's the Gap Man. Um, I don't know if it holds up in this time of our country, but yes, it's still a, a good nickname that we can honor because of what it did at the time. So I'm with it. And and it doesn't, I don't think it needs his actual name to work. Unlike Earl, you need Earl the twirl. Mm-hmm. You just, the gap man just stands on its own. The gap man. Sounds there like you that. go. I like it. Uh, well, or this one, you're well, it, since you mentioned like the point in time of, of where we are as, as a country, you're, you're probably not going to love number 23. Oh, no. What's, number 23, what's the Tommy Gun, Tom Chambers. <laughs> but Tommy Gun, here's the oh. thing about Tommy Guns. They're kind of funny, right? They're they're still, I think Tommy Guns live in the lore of, I mean, like, of gangster movies. Unless you're staring movies. at one. It, it's really funny to talk about it. But if you're staring at one, it's probably not as funny. Yeah, but I think they, they live in the lore uh, I mean, nobody's holding up a convenience store with a Tommy gun. Like, it still lives in the lore of, like, 50s, okay. you know, Bubsy gangster movies. Um, so That's true. But but let's not focus on that. Let's not get derailed here because we got to talk about Tom Chambers. Tell me what you, what you think of when you think of four-time NBA All-Star Thomas Chambers. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I think of Home Alone, Angels with Filthy Souls, that mobster grabbing his Tommy gun and scaring Macaulay Culkin. When I think of Tom Chambers, I think of the dunk that he had. I forget on who it was, but I think he, I remember him launching and then using his knees to go into the chest of the guy taking the charge. And then it brings him to an indifferent level of height where now his like clavicle is above the rim and then slams it and all the momentum is thrown off, but it's just a monster jam from Tom Chambers. Also could, um, I don't know if he could shoot, but an athletic 6'10 guy, you know, could handle it on the perimeter. That's what I think of with Tom Chambers. Man, Tom Chambers could dunk. I did not. I, yeah. I was, I am the Shaq meme. I was unfamiliar with his game. I had to go look this guy up a little bit. Go look at him. Go to YouTube right now. If you're on, or if you're on YouTube watching us, take a moment, come back to the show, but take a moment to go look up his dunk mixtape. I mean, this guy was taking oh, yeah. bodies. He was, he was taking souls. He had MVP consideration in the early nineties. And, and, you know, I think he's one of these guys that just gets lost in the Michael Jordan excellence era of the early nineties. I think he's one of the more forgotten stars in, in like NBA history. Cause Tom Chambers, he was a power forward and this is when power forwards were Kings, but he was, I mean, his dunks were incredible. He could shoot. He could, he had a little bit of a handle. He was super athletic, which allowed him to get rebounds that maybe he shouldn't have gotten. But I want to tell you about his time with the Hornets. So this is weird. He only played 12 games for the Hornets <clears throat> and it was when he was 37 years old. 
And he had gone to, he went to Seattle, then to Phoenix and had some great years with the Suns. And then he kind of fell out of the league, went to Israel. And then the Hornets gave him a shot, 12 games. Uh, and it was towards the sort of back half of the, of a playoff season. This was Glenn Rice, uh, Vladi, you know, that team. And unfortunately he didn't come back in shape. He was fat. He was slow. He couldn't dunk. And so they waived him before the playoffs and then Phoenix comes back, gives him a one-year deal that seems like kind of a sweetheart return home, retire kind of deal as a Phoenix legend. <laughs> and then they trade him to the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> you get your sweetheart yeah. retirement deal, and they're like, actually, guy, one more st- – Tommy, Tommy Gunn, sorry, buddy, one more stop. you got to go to Philly and play with Allen Iverson. Um, by the way, the dunk I was talking about, over Mark Jackson. Slammed it on Mark Jackson. That's who there's it was. A sta- I think there's it, a it, statue of that dunk – uh, or, or some kind of honoring of that dunk in Phoenix's arena. I'm sure it is. Yeah. If um, you're a Phoenix no, fan, you like know it. Tom Chambers, but I don't think the national horn, it's a real Hoopers know kind of name, Tom Chambers. Yeah, Gen Tom Z Chambers. has no idea who Tom Chambers is. That's true. All right. That's the list, right? That's the list. You're, we're done. We're, we're ending. My with voice Tommy is Gunn. done. We'll stop there for now. Okay. I need a break. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're chugging water. You're like, shut up, Walker. Or keep going. You're asking me to keep going so you can go with some water. All right. Let's move on to the top 35 Hornets players of all time. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. I have a new group. So last time we did the haphazard Hornets. I didn't know who I was going to figure out in the exact order but finally spent enough time to where I feel good about it. Didn't change it either. And really haven't changed it since the first five that we revealed Hornets scoring it, scoring it. So now I believe that we can bring this list into a list of integrity and I'm happy about it. Let's find out who's coming up next on the list. Next lockdown. All right, Doug, it's time. It's time to get through the first half of the top 35 Hornets list and not even the first half, a little bit more. So, um, We've got the Haphazard Hornets, mm-hmm. Hersey Hawkins, 24, Rex mm-hmm. Chapman, 23, Johnny Newman, 22, Steven Jackson, old Stack Jack himself, 21. People thought you should have had Rex Chapman way higher. Multiple I saw, people. Yeah, I think I did see, well, it was like one comment or maybe two, right? I, I saw that Rex Chapman, he was the guy. <laughs> Legions! <laughs> there are dozens of us. Um, so yeah, I, I still feel good about it. Look, I feel good about it. I understand the whole butts and seats thing at the beginning of the Hornets existence, but Rex Chapman 23, I feel good about it. So now this one, well, hold on, but before, before you get in this list, if you have Mm -hmm. criticisms of either of these lists of the nicknames or the players, I just don't want to see we in the comments. This is not a we list. We did not come up with either of our lists. I came up with the nicknames list. Walker owns this player's list. So if you have any criticisms, just make sure you're directing them at the correct person. Go wow. on. That that sounds like somebody that doesn't want anything to do with my list, but okay. I was willing to take <laughs> one on the chain. I don't. Three, I want to get fine. as far away from it as possible. I when you when you people don't know this, but when you read the list, I have under my shirt, I've got one of those things that you wear at the dentist office when you get the x-ray to protect your, you know, ramp mm-hmm. um, from getting like a x-ray. Lead vest is what you're saying. Yeah, the lead yeah. vest, exactly. Yeah, so I've got one of uh, those underneath this shirt because your your list is radioactive. Um, don't come crawling back to me when this list is being talked about all over the place saying it's the best list we've ever seen in our entire lives. This one is called Best of the Rest. Not the top 15. I think there is a clear gap after we get through this next group, and then we can get to the top 15 Hornets okay. of all time. And this one, 
best of the rest. Number 20, like Beanie Baby himself, Eldon Campbell. Ah, uh, yeah. I think another, if we're talking about forgotten Hornets stars, you know, he's not an all-star, but mm-hmm. he's a he was a big part of that late, you know, late first Hornets run. I think he's forgotten. And played more games than a lot of those other guys did. Um, people think of Vladdy. That's what people think of Vladdy when they think of like the centers of that era, and they don't uh-huh. think of Eldon. I think it's reverse. I think people think of Eldon because he was on the team that gets the furthest ever, and they don't think of Vladdy. You no, think no, it's no. the other way Vladdy around? Vladdy was the more only... popular because he played. No, I think, think it was, was a more for Kobe. That's what they think. Well, that's fine, but I'm telling you, he played with a more popular team. That Glenn Rice Mason team was a more po- even though yeah. they weren't as successful they were the more popular team. Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought up his name. Guess who's coming in at number 19 of all time? <laughs> hey, what's up? Vladdy Daddy. Vladdy Daddy. Vlade Divots comes in at number 19 and best of the rest. All right, so let's talk about those two guys because I had a hard time figuring out Eldon Campbell or Vladdy, who should be 20, who should be 19. Eldon played a longer time. He was the starting center on that team that did go to the Eastern Conference Finals and play against the Milwaukee Bucks. But Divots actually played and started at center for the two most successful regular season teams of all time. Played with that Glenn Rice squad, Anthony Mason, you just mentioned it, and was a big-time contributor. In fact, if you go to win shares for one of those teams, I believe Vladi was top win shares for one of those squads. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm trying to look it up right now. Anyway, Vlade did a lot of stuff. Remember how we talked about the black hole being Armin Gilliam? The exact opposite for Vladi. Known for being one of the best passing big men of all time. Uh-huh. You could see that in the way that he played with the Charlotte Hornets. Average double digits per game. A part of 250 win clubs. And then goes to Sacramento where he would get his first all-star appearance in 2000 and 2001. But, you know, 50% from the field despite, you know, being spicy with his game. Vladi, really good player. Really good player. And comes in at number 19. Just didn't play long enough. But made a big old impact with among the best teams in Hornets history. I mean, God, that's why I decided Vladi. And, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I think <clears throat> Vladi, again, the more popular player because I think he played on the more popular team because it was an exciting offensive team. <clears throat> the team that Eldon was a part of was a lockdown defensive team, but they weren't scoring a ton. And Eldon was a big part of why it was a lockdown defensive team. He was a good defensive center. Vladi was a good offensive center. He opened up a lot of those shots for Glenn Rice to knock down three pointers because he could draw the defense in. And, and as you said, he had the ability to pass back out, uh, but pass in the interior as well. Uh, so, yeah, was the perfect center for the way that Dave Cowens had constructed uh, and Bob Bass had constructed that team. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Vladdy being above it. All I'm saying is that people, I, I don't, I don't yeah. think people, other than people that watch this show that hear about my Beanie Baby all the time, I don't think the, the I don't know what the statistic would be, but I would say like, I don't know, probably five or six and 10 Hornets fans just have no idea who Eldon Campbell is. Okay. Um, Eldon Campbell, 20. Vlade Divac, 19. Number 18, Kelly Trapuca. Okay. This one was now, a, memorable, memorable Hornet. This one was a tough one. Kelly Trapuca, the inaugural season in 88-89, he averaged almost 23 points per game, 22.6 to be exact. Efficient from the field, good enough three-point shooter. 
this was a weird career for Kelly Trapuca. His basketball reference page is all over the place. All-star, his first season in the league. <laughs> 22 points per game for Detroit. Leads the league in minutes for Detroit, his sophomore season in the association. Another all-star appearance his third year. 19 points, 20. And then it gets cut down to 10 points per game. So goes to Utah after his Detroit tenure and averages 10 points per game. Seven and a half in 49 games played with Utah. Then goes to Charlotte. Boom. Right back up to 22.6. So really big swing of things if there was a change of scenery. And then he dwindled down his points per game total to 15.6 and 89.90. And then only seven points per game, only starting one contest in 1990-1991. But one of the originals, the leading scorer on the first ever team, a just a good player as well. That's why I have him at number 18. And being an OG, I think, carries a lot of weight. You want me to move on or do you want some comments on Trapuca? Uh, Trapuca, you look at Dell in the expansion draft and you look at Muggsy and you would think, man, the Hornets really went in on offense, shooting, creation with Muggsy and didn't really prioritize defense. And yet that inaugural team really struggled to score the basketball, which just, you know, I think highlights how difficult it is to build an expansion team through that expansion draft because you are really, it's slim pickings. Uh, Miami had a difficult job with it as well. And I think they kind of tended towards defense in that draft. Um, but Trapuca, yeah, good. You know, I, I think, you know, provided one of the more memorable moments in terms of, you know, trying out the jersey. You know, I think that's the image that sticks in a lot of fans' mm-hmm. memories is him holding up the jersey uh, for the first time. Okay. Kelly Trapuca, 18, 17, two more to go and best of the rest. 17 is Bobby Phils. Bobby Phils is a tough one. Bobby Phils tragically passed away in a car crash, and it was a race against another Hornets teammate, and it happened to man. I mean, was it I, – I forget the road. It Was was it Tyvola? Am I wrong on that? I forget. I just know – I, oh, yeah. I remember the – yeah. All right. Well, I, I do remember, at least for other people, it was one of those where were you moments for Charlotte Hornets fans. Bobby Phils is the only jersey that is honored in the rafters at the Spectrum Center. He's the only one. It was a tragic passing at the time. And, yes, that carries weight when we discuss where Bobby Phils ranks on the all-time Hornets list. At the same time, I don't want that to be the only reason to the point where we just forget that Bobby Phils, good NBA player. So, an amazing defender. In fact, if you don't know much about his game and you only know him for having passed away with this organization, Michael Jordan once called Bobby Phils the toughest defender that he had to face in the NBA. Now, after his career, I believe you would say it was Joe Dumars, but okay, if Bobby Phils takes a backseat to only Joe Dumars, I think that's pretty good when you talk about him on that end of the floor. Bobby Phils also offensively averaged 14.3 points per game the 98-99 season. Averaged 13.6 per game in 28 appearances at the age of 30 in the 99-2000 year. Played three seasons with the squad. Started most of them. That last year, he started nine out of 28. Good player, right? This is what I think happens with Phil sometimes, is, is we don't realize how, how good of a player he was. He was an all-defensive player, I think his second to last year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's why I have Bobby Phil's here. Yes, some of this is in remembrance of him, the fact that he does have his jersey honored there, but also really impactful for a good Charlotte Hornets tenure. 
So this happened. It was so shocking. Mm -hmm. It happened when Bobby Fields and David Wesley were leaving a Hornets practice. This wasn't some kind of thing that happened in the middle of the night. Uh, this was something that was connected with a team practice. And, and so it, it, I think it, even, it felt even closer to uh, the team. And what you have to understand about Bobby Phil's good player, yes, better person, consistently in the running for the Sportsman of the Year Award, very involved in not only the Charlotte Hornets community, but the Charlotte community and – you know, previous stops that he had had, he was just always a guy that kind of got his got his hands dirty and and was willing to help the the cities that he was playing in. So Bobby feels great person, uh, you know, genuinely like admired by the people that he worked with. And so <clears throat> when he passed away, it was such a brutal event. And then the basketball context of it was that this was a period of time. When the Hornets were were still good and seemed to be like, and they were like a lot of teams. They were looking at this like 99, 2000, 2001 era of, of the NBA as like, all right, Jordan is finally, maybe, <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't, but finally going away. Now we've got an opportunity to do something. And the Hornets were just struck by, a lot of uh, bad luck, and then they got struck by this tragedy. Um, so it was it was a, it was a difficult period for for a lot of reasons, but it was I think just you know one in a number of things that went wrong mm -hmm. for that first run of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, we also talk about Eddie Jones and Glenn Rice being players that would dominate in today's day and age because of the way the game is played. Bobby Phils too, like quintessential three and oh, D yeah. player. How about his three point percentage? He didn't shoot anything under 38.6 mm. in the last four fuller seasons or any time that he played more than half the games. So Mont a 39% career three-point shooter and actually shot four times a game in 98-99. So shooting four times a game is letting it fly back in that day and age. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. I, I think Bobby Phil's really good player. Last one, I know we're kind of running over here, but that's one we need to spend some time on. This one might be too. Apologize to anybody that doesn't like the long episodes. Number 16, Emeka Okafor didn't make top 15. And I thought maybe, I thought maybe I, I didn't want to include him in the best of the rest. But Emeka, I, when you see who number 15, 14 is and so on, I think we'll get the picture here. But I think also one of the more underappreciated guys, which is weird because he was by far the most appreciated guy during the time that he played, at least at the very beginning. Emeka Okafor won Rookie of the Year. In 2004 and 2005, the same rookie season that Dwight Howard had when he went number one overall, took a little while for him to cook. But Emeka, coming off of a championship with UConn, playing with a super team, guys like Ben Gordon, Rashad Anderson, I think Villanueva might have been a freshman on that team. You get the idea, a monster team that he was the leader of. And defensively, that was the one of the biggest reasons that you drafted him at number two overall when he was there. Comes in, you know, averages close to two blocks a game. Just... The injuries, the second year of his career, that really hurt. But actually did play and start in all but one game his last two seasons here, which I think is not something that people remember. I, I think people think of him as a guy that was always hurt because that's later what his career would be known for. But his last two years with the Bobcats, he started all but one of 
each of the 82 game seasons that he appeared in. So right. I think a Mecca man, this is why I was going back and forth on whether he should be in a different column, but he is the best, the literal best of the rest before we get to the top 15. Yeah, he did play in all those games, but after the injuries, he was clearly, I don't know that he was a different player, but you saw the cap at that point, you know, after the injuries, it's like, ah, this guy's not going to get any better. Like, I mean, this is you're, you're, you, you're yeah. seeing what you're going to get from a Mecca and that's really it. And uh, so that was the problem. And, and the injuries were precipitated by him feeling a need <clears throat> to put on a little bit more weight after his rookie season and, and to, so that he could battle down low with some of the size that was, you know, still dominating at that position at that time, we hadn't fully transitioned into the era of, of center that we see today. But he serves now, I think, as, as one of the cautionary tales for a guy like Victor Wibanyama. And we did some, you know, in our draft prep, did some reading on this. And, you know, Victor's team is very well aware of the dangers of putting on weight too quickly and changing one's body and how that can affect you know, one's ability not only to execute their game the way they want to, but also it inserts this risk of getting injured. And so they're they're aware of that, and they're not in any rush to, like, throw a bunch of weight at Victor Wibanyama. They're going to let that mm -hmm. happen, try to let that happen naturally. And I think Emeka serves as the cautionary tale there because it, it, it ruined his career. I, I do think also his his third year in the league, that's when you started to see him focus on what he could do best as an offensive player and his efficiency skyrockets from how about 44.7% uh, from the field, 41 and a half his first two years to boom, 53 and wouldn't get anything lower than that. So that I think Emeka figured out who he was to your point and really just went all in on being a guy that could you know, be a low post score, not necessarily with a whole lot of post moves, but be the rim runner, get your offensive rebounds, get some garbage points, average 10 rebounds per game, average close to two blocks a game, but also come up with 13 to 15 points uh, per game at the end of the matchup. So Emeka, look, he's got a, he's got a championship. He's got a college championship and he, and he didn't go quietly into the night either. He would, he would hang in there through the struggles and make a few more NBA appearances. He showed up with the wizards, uh, so salute to Emeka. Well, and last thing, the comeback that he had in 17-18 was crazy. So he missed four years because of a neck injury. He missed four. And then he comes back with the Pelicans in 17-18 and plays and starts in 19 of the 26 games that he appeared in. So Emeka Okafor, the fact that he was even able to appear at an NBA game. Once again, again New Orleans nuts. taking what Charlotte had. I know. You know, man, it's just or the twice, same story over twice. and over. They did it twice. He goes to New Orleans after his tenure with the Bobcats, and then his comeback is with the Pelicans. So the New Orleans Hornets and the New Orleans Pelicans he played with. All right, so that's best of the rest. 20, do you want to go with the fanfare before we end it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, 20, Eldon Campbell. 19, Vlade Adivats. Number 18, Kelly Trapuca, the puke man. <laughs> that's not... That is not. That's going to be on your nickname list. I can't hear anything. 17, Bobby Phils. And 16, Amek Okafor. There it is. All right. That's the list. That'll do it. We got the top 15 to go, and we have Doug's nickname list to go through as well. 
Thank you for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods. That does include YouTube. Also check out Game to Game NBA as soon as the season starts. They carry every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 